be seated. Let me pray, and we'll get started today, all right? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for his grace. And I just want to pray right now as we're continuing on in this uh, villainous series um, that we would kind of uh, see um, this part of our heart that is sometimes envious of other people, and that we would see it, and that we would address it, uh, and that we would come to freedom from it. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Several years ago, there was a comedy that came out that I have still to this day never seen, uh, but I was fascinated by this quote that that I found because I thought it was so powerful. But in this comedy, uh, Tim Dingman, he's played by Ben Stiller, and Nick uh, Zanderpark, played by Jack Jack Blacker in this movie called Envy. And they're next-door neighbors, best friends, co-workers, and they together, they work at a local sandpaper factory. And they ride to work together every day, uh, and they both kind of feel like they're caught in these dead-end jobs, meaningless, without purpose, um, and, and all of that sort of thing. And every day, Nick has these outrageous ideas about how he's going to get rich quick. And he shares these ideas with his friend, and his friend's like, you know, that's a dumb idea. He ignores his suggestions. And one day, he has this idea for an invention for dog owners which is a spray that vaporizes deposits dogs make in people's yards. So you spray it on it and it vaporizes it. And he has this idea and his friend's like, that's dumb, but he runs with it and he ends up making millions of dollars on this idea after his friend had rejected an offer to buy in for just $2,000. And Nick's invention, it just becomes a huge, huge success. He makes millions of dollars overnight. He appears on TV and infomercials, and he builds a mansion. He loves the neighbor he lives in, so he builds a mansion across the street from his friend. He buys this beautiful white horse. He spends $100,000 on a new car, but he also makes sure to share the joys of his wealth with Tim and his family, even though Tim didn't buy in. And Tim, as the movie plays out, is absolutely eaten up with envy. It wears him down to the point where he loses his job. He hates his life. Even at one point in the movie, he ends up killing uh, Nick's horse uh, in, in in an accident. And as Nick sees his best friend's life begin to deteriorate, he decides to make Tim a 50 50 partner in the business in order to get him back on his feet. And there's this scene where Tim is just so overwhelmed with guilt over having killed the horse and his envy and all of that that he says this. Let me read this to you. Uh, he's confessing to killing the horse. He should have told, I should have told you, that's the thing. But I didn't know what happened. I felt guilty about something, and I was just so wrapped up in the envy that I felt for everything you had. It's true what they say. It's like a little green monster that comes out, and it just poisoned my head. And by the way, you did nothing wrong. You followed your dream. You did what you wanted to do. I was always the one saying, don't do it, and you did it, and it worked. Look, you built a house, right? That's all you did. You built a house. I mean, it's a big house. I mean, a really big house. It's a large house. I mean, it's gigantic, Nick. It's the White House. You built the White House here, and we live in the shadow of it. Literally, every day at 10 o'clock, we're in its shadow. That's not your fault. You wanted to be friends still. You didn't want to move, and I love that. It was coming from such a good place, but it was... But, well, it got to me. And every day I'd have to look at you and see you with all your stuff. You know, the yellow Lamborghini that goes 200 miles an hour. You have a bowling alley right next to your room. And if I could do it, I would. Everybody should have a merry-go-round. Of course you should. Jealousy every day, and it was just chewing 
me up. It's a pretty good description of envy. I laughed out loud when I read this quote uh, from an essayist, uh, uh, Joseph Epstein. He says, of the seven deadly sins, envy is the only one that's no fun at all. (laughs) I love that because they're called temptations for a reason, right? And so, you know, gluttony, it starts out as fun, and then it turns south. You know, all all of them start out uh, as fun, but he says, of the seven deadly sins, envy is no fun at all. And psychologists can actually back this up, that envy decreases life satisfaction and it depresses well-being. Envy is correlated to depression and neuroticism and the hostility that envy breeds, they've proven it. It actually can make you sick. You can literally be sick with envy, right? And envy has the power to actually affect our physical health. And we have a weird relationship that kind of drives this when it comes to social media, right? Have you ever been in, in an experience where like, you're totally fine with your car and then you get on social media and you're like, my car stinks, <laughs> right? My house stinks, our vacation life stinks, right? And it's all because of this social media comparison thing, this, this social comparison, which it's been proven decreases our happiness. Epstein goes on to say, envy makes us look ungenerous, mean, and small-hearted. And he goes on to say, no wonder nobody wants to own up to this unhappy sin. Have you ever noticed that before? I think you're envy. I'm not envious. I've never been envious today. No one wants to own up to being envy because we know it makes us look ungenerous, mean, and small-hearted. And this is the point of the Proverbs. Proverbs 23 says, do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. We're going to address this issue of zealousness later. Always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. There is surely a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. There is this part of envy that lies to us, that I don't have what is good, I don't have what I need, I don't have what I desire, and it can land us in this very hopeless place about our future. My future is never going to look like their future. My present doesn't look like their present. So my future is certainly not going to look like their future. And so my future is bleak. And this proverb is reminding us that there, God has a future for you. God has a future for you. God has a plan for you. And it's good, but it requires us to trust him and his future for our life. To trust him and his future for our life. Not to look at the neighbor or look at the friend or look at the family member and say, man, I'd like my future to look like their future. we got to dismiss that and, and back away from that and say, no, I want the future that God has in store for me. I like how the psalmist says it. He says, one thing I ask from the Lord, the only, only one thing do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Envy is an attribute, I think, that causes us to ask for more than is good. It causes our desires to turn to resentment. Because we see what they have, we see what they are, we see what they've achieved, and the envy causes us to be resentful of God, and resentful of our place in the world, and resentful of our future. Why don't I have fill in the blank? But this text reminds us there's one thing we want to build our life on. We want to gaze upon God. We want to seek him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
And what this does is it places all the other desires that we have in their proper place. And we end up treating those desires in a way that is appropriate, not, appropriate, not making them small g gods that we long for and wish for and want. Proverbs 14 says, A heart of peace gives life to the body. Are you at peace? But envy, envy, it rots the bones. We've talked about this a lot, but envy is not the path forward to joy, hope, or, or peace. It's certainly not the path forward to, to, the, to the love that God has in store. The, the path forward for our culture, the path forward for our family, the path forward for our church is the path of love. Jesus was asked one time, hey, what are the two greatest commandments? He said, it's really very simple. Love God and love people. It's all built on love. Love is foundational to what God is trying to do. And as we're going to see here, envy keeps us from that path forward. Envy causes us to get stuck in some fantasy that we think we're never going to have. And when the, and the, when the path forward is love, envy holds us back. Take a look at this video. A heart at peace gives life to the body. Envy rots the bones. Here's how the Apostle Paul shows us that love is the path forward for us. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So you can see, right, how envy is not consistent with the love that God calls us to, the, the love for others. It's impossible to fully love someone that you're envious of. So one of the things that I find interesting in that list is how envy really affects mul a multitude of the love attributes. For instance, love is patient. Envy pushes our patience to the limits because we either don't have what we want or we have what they want, and it causes us uh, to have short fuses. Uh, envy erodes patience. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Envy encourages us to keep a record of wrongs, especially if you feel that they are overblessed and because of their shortcomings that you've happened to notice, they shouldn't have everything that they have. Envy does that. Love is not self-seeking, uh, but envy completely promotes self-seeking. Envy is all about self-seeking. I'm not getting what I deserve. So I'm reminded of, you see this all throughout the Bible. But especially in the series that we just did back in the winter on the life of Joseph, I think you see it there. The Bible says that Joseph, uh, in that story, that his father loved him more than he loved his other sons. He was uh, daddy's little boy. He was the favorite. And uh, it certainly, uh, Joseph didn't help matters much. You remember he has this dream one day. And he says, hey, hey, brothers, I had this dream. And, uh, you know, that about grain. And then the dream, your grain was bowing down to my grain. And they just hated it all the more. Uh, on one occasion, his dad gives him this gift of this very expensive robe, uh, this very expensive jacket, and the other brothers didn't get one at all. And in one text, it says they hated their brother. And in another part, it says they were jealous of him. And this jealousy simmered, this envy simmered, and it festered until they made the decision they were going to kill him. And then finally, one brother grows a conscience. He says, maybe we're overreacting a little bit. And they decide to sell him into slavery. And here's what's interesting to me. Now, I've told you this before, but I had a professor that said all the time, whatever you do in your preaching, do not psychoanalyze dead people. So I'm about to psychoanalyze a dead person. Uh, and so forgive me for that, but I think there's some evidence for this case I'm going to make. 
that at the end of the day, when you read the, this story, I think what is clear is that what the brothers truly wanted was a better relationship with their father. I really, really believe this. That at the end of the day, yes, they hated Joseph, and Joseph didn't help matters, but at the end of the day, what they wanted was a better relationship with their father. And I wonder how the story could have gone differently if they could have just seen that need. You know, Joseph's super annoying, brothers, yes, but I wonder what's going inside of us that is leading us to this envy and this jealousy and this resentment. And if they could have seen, we just want a better relationship with dad. If they could have seen that and focused their attention on that, I wonder how much better the story would have been. The story of Joseph teaches us that there's almost always a need or a desire lurking behind envy, and we would do well to pay attention to it. You find yourself envious of a person's marriage, Pay attention to that. Allow it to motivate you to look at your own. The easy thing is to allow envy to turn into anger. Oh, man, do you see that that couple, they're PDA? It's so inappropriate. Oh, my goodness, the way they operate. Oh, they, the way they flaunt their love. Ah, it is so sick. And I know, pause. Perhaps I'm jealous of that for a reason. And, and I, should, I should look in the mirror. As our, as our clip showed, right? I look in the mirror and address what's really going on. A person gets promoted at work. The easy thing is to be filled with rage. They don't deserve it. I work harder than them. I, I, that, that's the easy thing to do. The harder thing is to look in the mirror and to really think about what could I do to get ahead or get promoted in a godly way? What, what, what do I need to address in my work environment? A person gets a new car. It's easy to be judgmental. Right? The harder thing is to ask, why am I not content and happy with the things that I have? To try to find out what's really fueling the envy. What's really going on inside of me? It's easier, right? When they, when they talk about envy being the only one that's no fun at all, I do think some people find it fun to be fueled by anger. Right? So maybe it's not true that it's no fun at all. It doesn't seem fun to those of us on the outside. Right? But, but some people kind of get addicted to anger and rage and jealousy, but what is going on inside me? Is there, is envy pointing to an issue that I need to address inside of me? I'm reminded of the story of Cain and Abel. After Adam and Eve left the garden, they had two boys. Remember, Abel worked with the flocks, Cain worked the ground, and they both brought their offering to God, and God looked on favor with Abel's offering, and it says on Cain, he didn't. And the text goes on to say that Cain was angry, and here's the envy description. His face was downcast. He was jealous. And I've always thought it was interesting because Cain was jealous of Abel's relationship with God. And we tend to think about jealousy and envy when it comes to stuff, and that 100% is there. But have you ever thought about being envious of a person's spiritual life? Maybe you felt that way before. Cain is angry. It's burning out of control. He's jealous. And God says to him, why are you so angry and why is your face downcast? Have you ever noticed that the envious person's face, their countenance is always downcast? No one ever, like the, I, the quote earlier, no one ever wants to admit it. What is going on with you? I'm jealous of them. They seem happy and I don't like it. Their marriage is good. Their career is going great. They have a bunch of money saved. I'm jealous. No one ever says that. Right? Our, our, our face tends to be downcast when it comes to the sin. We're like, well, you know, they're kind of a jerk or they're, you know, whatever, whatever. And, and we make up these reasons because we don't want to admit it. Their face is downcast. But he says, 
I love this. If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? Sin is crouching at your door. That's how God describes envy. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Almost every summer, our family takes a trip to St. Louis. And I love walking through that big cat exhibit, and I love seeing the tigers. I love tigers. You know where I love tigers? In a cage. (laughs) I love them when they're restricted in a cage. You know where I wouldn't love to see a tiger? In my backyard when I took my kids out to play. I I was thinking about that poor family. Did you read about that family? This is not in my notes, but you read about that family that went out to garden and there was like an alligator in their garden? I would never go outside again. That would be it for outside for me, right? And I love the outside, but we love these types of animals restrained and constricted and in a cage. If you're walking around in the jungle of Africa and you turned around and you saw a tiger crouching at your door, ready to pounce, my suggestion is make sure things are right with the Lord. Right then, right then. (laughs) Confess every sin you can think of, even ones you haven't committed, right? Just confess them all. This is how God describes Cain. He says you're jealous, you're angry. Sin is crouching. Sin is crouching. And, and, and something bad's about to happen. And I think it's an important lesson when it comes to envy. If it's burning out of control, something often goes wrong. We, we say or do something sinful or hurtful. This is one of those gateway emotions. It always leads us to someplace else. I remember the story of King David. Before there was King David, there was King Saul. And King Saul had uh, lost favor with God. And so God goes and anoints a shepherd to eventually become the king of Israel. So before David becomes king, uh, there's this moment that propels him into the national spotlight. And he defeats this uh, uh, giant named uh, Goliath in a one-on-one duel. And it's amazing. And King Saul and shepherd boy David are returning uh, to, to city. And as they're returning, people are gathering and they're shouting, Saul, who, who remembers the current king, Saul has slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands. Now you might imagine this does not excite Saul. The text says he was very angry. And we get another description of, of envy here. He was very angry and the song galled him. I love that description. Because we still use that in our English vernacular sometimes. What, what is it you don't like about it? They, they gall me. I am galled by them, right? The, the galling is real, right? And so Saul is galled by the song, and it would gall you too. Whatever you base your pride on to say, man, they are a good mom, but so-and-so, they are a great mom. They are a good leader, but so-and-so, have you ever met so-and-so? They are a great leader. They are a good worker. I mean, they're a fine worker. But have you met so-and-so? They are a great worker. And he is galled. And listen to what happens next. An evil spirit comes on Saul. And one day, David is playing a harp in the corner. And Saul throws a spear at him. Which I always thought must have really confused David. Because is there any happier instrument than the harp? There is no happier instrument than the harp. And so he's in the corner playing, I'm on this spear's coming at him. He's like, dude, I'll change the song, right? <laughs> and I certainly don't think anybody in this room is on the verge of murder, correct? <laughs> A simple amen to do, right? 
But envy can lead us just to pretty dark places. Say things we never thought we'd say. Do things we never thought we'd do. It's a gateway emotion. It causes sin to crouch. What do we do, right? Been a downer sermon, I understand that, but what do we do? I want to show you a passage of scripture that I think is powerful in James 4 that's going to teach us what to do a little bit. It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. I wonder how many fights are happening this week between people that they think it's about one thing. They would say, oh, it's about this thing that was said or done, this action taken. But really, what it's about is really about an envious spirit. Right? This, this is what James is saying, that really, you think it's about this other thing. Think about the big conflict you're in with someone. I think it's about this thing, but what if it's really about envy? I want and I don't have, so I lash out. James continues. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, but that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. I love how James builds this argument. There are fights and there are quarrels among you. We envy and we covet. And here's the solution according to James. Instead of coveting for the thing they have, here's what you should do. Ask God. Let God be the deciding vote, if you will. Right? Ask God. Let God be the one to decide if you have something or you don't. And if you have wrong motives, which God knows. I don't know if you've ever seen these stories of Jesus where it's like Jesus looks at someone and he knew their heart. You've got to be careful about that heart around Jesus, right? He can see the heart. Right? So Jesus is interacting. I haven't even said anything. Oh, no, no. I, I, yeah, no, I see what's going on here, right? So if you ask with the wrong motives, God will say no. But we ask him. And we let him decide. I think this is a really powerful idea. That when you see someone with a house, or a job, or a car, or whatever you think you want, instead of burning with jealousy, pause and ask God. Ask God, God, is it in your will for me to have this thing? And let him answer. And this means we get really good at hearing God's voice But you know what we get even better at? We get good at hearing his voice. We have to get even better at accepting his will. Mm. That's the hard part about asking, right? You can ask my kids about this. Dad, can we have... It's like, the answer's going to be yes or no. I think they would say a lot of times it's no, right? But we have to get good at not just hearing his voice. We have to get good at accepting his will. And that maybe is the hardest thing at all. So I think this prayer that James is proposing, it gives us something to do with our envy rather than directed at the person. They have something that I want. They have something I think I deserve. They have something that I feel like I need, and I'm burning with envy. This gives me a chance to dial that emotion back and take it to God. God, I think this is what would be good for me, but not my will be done, but yours. And we ask God, and we learn to love and accept his will. Uh, because our anger is no longer directed at them, but now in humility, we're replacing anger with humility. And humility, we're saying, God, you know me better than anyone. God, you know what I need better than anyone. God, you created me, and I just want your will in this situation. So this is what I'm asking for, 
I remember he says, you might not have because you have not asked. And I'm like, my prayer life is changing tomorrow, right? You might not have because you don't ask. He said, you might not have because you ask with wrong motives. Um, and, and so he's just encouraging us to bring this to God. To not be angry with other people for what they have. That's silly. And in our heart of hearts, we know it's silly, which is why our face goes downcast and we don't want to admit it. And, and so instead of being downcast and instead of being angry, instead of engaging in jealousy, we ask God. And we allow God, the most generous God, to decide and to give us what we need and what he desires for us and our path forward. And we learn to love the future he has for us. That's really what envy comes down to. We don't always love the future we think he has for us. And so we learn to love the future he has for us. I love Galatians 4. It's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good. And to be so always, not just when I am with you. So Paul writes in Galatians, it's fine to be zealous. This is the same word for envy. It's fine to be jealous. It's fine to have zeal as long as the reason is good. Zeal is not always bad. When it turns to uh, jealousy and anger and resentment, it can become bad. But to have a zeal for a happy marriage, that's a God-given zeal. To have a zeal, to have zeal for a healthy work life, healthy work balance, that's a God-given desire. To, to have zeal for a happy marriage, that's a God-created desire. Desire. So he says, zeal is not the problem. Misplaced zeal is the problem. That I have a zeal for how God has blessed them or what God has given them or what they have, and I burn with jealousy. He says, no, no, no. You have a zeal for your future. You have a zeal for God's desire for you. You have a zeal for a healthy family, your family. Uh, you have a zeal for a, a, a good work environment, your work. And you allow your zeal to be restrained to what God desires for your life. This is biblical. Paul says it's good to be zealous, it's good to feel passion, but make sure it's about the right thing. All envy is, all it is, is misplaced zeal. It's sinful zealousness. It's zealousness that turns against people and turns to anger, harshness, and gossip. It's zealousness turned on itself. So we revisit Cain and Abel for a minute. Cain is not happy about his brother's offering being accepted, he's jealous. Instead of being jealous about his brother, he should have had a zealousness to make sure the next time his offering would be accepted and that he had a right relationship with God. Joseph's brothers, we've already talked about this a little bit, instead of being zealous and angry about their brother, they should have been zealous to work on their relationship with their dad and to make it right. Saul, he should have been zealous to be a better king. He should have done that a couple years before David, but he should have been zealous to be a better king. And we could go on and on in God. Instead of burning with jealousy, we can become passionate and zealous about the things of God. And this is what envy can do for us. Envy can be a trigger, to be sure, or envy can become a neon sign, pointing us to where we need to work the area that needs to be addressed. That the man, whatever this is inside me, this maybe is telling me I need to work on my relationship with God. I need to work on my marriage. I need to be more productive at work. I need to spend more time with my kids. I gotta get my finances under control. And so it can become a trigger that leads us to more and more anger, or it can become a neon sign of God whispering and maybe even shouting, hey, 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 
There's a thing going on here. Pay attention to this. Look at this. Address this before this gets out of control. Sin is crouching at your door, God says. Pay attention to what's going on. And I just find that we are in such a fast-paced culture right now that sometimes it's hard to just stop and say, what's going on with me, inside of me? Why am I jealous? Why am I zealous for their life when God has given me mine? Why am I zealous for their future when God has given me a future? Why am I zealous for their work life when God has given me my work life? And to instead detach from a zealousness over what's going on with them and a, zealous, a zealousness for what God has called me to, the life he has called me to, the future he has in store for me. And it's not self-centered to do this, actually. It's detaching from an anger and animosity toward others that I can't control anyway. You're like, they should have bought that house. Well, it's their house payment, right? <laughs> Yeah. You know, they shouldn't have bought that car. Low monthly payments till Jesus returns. Right? That's and to not be so focused on their future, but to be a little more focused on what God has called me to and where he wants me to live and reside. The thing I can actually control. To be zealous over the thing I can control. And I think we'll find that is a better place to be, that it's fine to be zealous. It's good to be passionate provided the purpose is good. It's good to be passionate, provided the purpose is good. So let's become passionate about our relationship with God. Let's become passionate about our families. Let's become passionate about our work. Let's become passionate about healthy financial state. Let's become passionate about the things we can control, not the things out of our control, what other people are doing. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his grace. And you have taught us in the scripture here that it's good to be zealous, provided the purpose is good. So I know every person in this room, you have a future for them, you have a plan for them, and the plan you have for them is different than the plan you have for me, and vice versa. And so may we not be zealous and jealous of the way that you're leading others, but may we focus on the way that you're leading us and really engage with our families and our financial health and our church and our relationship to you and be zealous for the things that you have given us to control. May we be good stewards. May we manage wisely. May we be zealous for you. We thank you for Jesus who there came a time when he came to this earth and he was so zealous for, for the calling you had given him. And he taught with authority and he healed and he went to the cross and he resurrected and he just lived his life so well as an example for us. May we follow that example. May we live our lives well. May we love well. May we be passionate about what you have called us to be passionate about. And we, may we make wise decisions. I pray right now that any envy in me or jealousy it would be a neon sign right now. Any envy in us in this room. A neon sign right now. Go, no, 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 no. Pay attention to this. Sin is crouching at your door. May we see it and figure out what's really going on inside of us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're going to receive uh, communion together right now. And we do want to...
be just grateful this morning for the zealousness of Christ who came and lived his life well and went to the cross so that we could be forgiven. And may we uh, meditate on it and think about it and be committed to living our lives well, the life that he has called us to as well. So they're going to pass out communion, and you can just thank him for his life, his death, and his resurrection. And then I'll come back up in just a few minutes, and we'll receive communion together as a church family. His body given for you. His blood poured out. Jesus, our desire is to follow your example and to live a life of zealousness that is good, passionate about the things you've called us to, not jealous of other people's path or or their future, but fully embracing our future and the path you've laid out before us. May we run our race well. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Hey, go ahead and stand up, and uh, let's close with one last song of worship.